admit it, you're waiting for Jaws to pop out and like eat, eat the words, weren't you? Hey, welcome to New Life. My name is Joe, and if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, if you're new here, uh, I, I get to be the lead pastor here, and I'm just thrilled that you're worshiping with us today. We are starting a brand new series from the book of Jonah. So if you brought your Bibles, go ahead and open it up to the book of Jonah. And uh, it, I want you to know, I know that Jonah is probably not one of those books of the Bible that you normally turn to. So if you need to look at the table of contents to find out where Jonah is, I don't consider that cheating. You can do that and find the book of Jonah. It's perfectly fine. But please, if you could be making your way over there, that would be great. If I had to guess about us today, I would say that most of us here today have some familiarity with Jonah's story. You may not be able to put all the names in there, but you probably have some familiarity. If, even, if, even if you're new to church, you probably have heard the details or some of them about a guy, a prophet, that God had called to go preach to a, a city, and he decided not to do it. So he got on a boat, and he tried to sail away from God. But then he got eaten by a big fish, three days later, spit out on the shore, and then he obeyed. Now, I would guess that some of us, most of us, have probably heard something along those lines. Maybe you're like me, and you first heard of Jonah's story, Jonah and the big fish, as a kid. How many of you remember hearing that as a kid, learning about it? Well, I remember very vividly, our family had uh, this series of illustrated Bible story books. One of those was on Jonah. And I can still see those pictures. I still see the pictures in that story of Jonah sitting inside of the big fish. And, but I, I remember learning about Jonah as a kid. Um, about once a year, the story of Jonah and the big fish would make its way through the Sunday school teaching routine or in the junior church, and it would come around because it's, it's a great, great Bible story that we teach our kids. But you know, many of us think of Jonah and the big fish as nothing more than that, though. Nothing more than just a story we teach our kids. Now, instinctively, I think we'd all say, we know that's not true, but a lot of us have this in common. The story of Jonah and the big fish will be forever linked to our childhoods, just like Dan in the lion's den is, just like the battle of Jericho is, just like the story of David and Goliath. But I'm here to tell you today that there is so much more to the life story of Jonah and what God would want us to teach us than we ever dreamed we would ever be teaching our children with this. This is so much more than a kid's story. Several years ago, I was listening to a sermon series from the book of Jonah. And this sermon series, I'm telling you, it absolutely blew me away. Have you ever, I don't know, I, I listen to a lot of preaching. I don't know if you know, there's preachers here in our country that really speak to me week after week, and I absorb a lot. But I was listening to this sermon series, I never really thought about, to be honest with you, never really thought about preaching through the book of Jonah. And I think one of the reasons why is because that's a story connected to my childhood. And, I, and we don't sometimes make the jump that it's not a kid's story, really. But he preached through this series, and it so took me back. It almost kind of knocked me on my heels and like, oh my goodness, there's so much practical application in this book, and it really spoke to my heart. Uh, you probably have heard of the preacher who gave this sermon series. His name is Craig Rochelle of Life Church, and I don't know if you're familiar with that church. It's one of the largest churches in America. He's an incredibly gifted preacher, an incredibly gifted author, if you've read any of his books. He's just one of those guys that's just... Um, got kind of all the gifts, if you know what I mean. And it just really spoke to my heart. And I knew several years ago that one of these days, when the time is right, I'm gonna preach through the book of Jonah at New Life, and that time is right. On the heels of our series coming out, talking about being aligned, we're gonna be talking about the life story of about a guy that just could not line up with God. 
His whole life, he just couldn't quite line up with where God wanted him to be, his will and his desire. It's the perfect time to tackle this book of Jonah. And there's something I have no doubts about. I have no doubts that some of those things that excited me and convicted me and spoke to my heart from Pastor Craig's series, those things will find their way into this series as well. It would be impossible not to. And my hope would be that you were as inspired by the story of Jonah as I was when I heard him preach this series. I think we are in for something that if we have ears to hear, if our hearts are open, God is gonna show us some things through our study of the book of Jonah. Now, Jonah and the big fish, that's how we call it. But did you know, I wanna share you a little detail. Did you know this story's not really about a fish? Did you know that? The book of Jonah takes up four chapters of the Bible. It's not a long story, but it's not just a little one either. It takes four chapters. Of that entire four chapters, you know that only three verses talk about a big fish? Just three verses. This is not really a story about a big fish. It's a part of the story, but it's not the heart of the story. What is this really all about? The, the, the life story of Jonah, why it's recorded in scripture, it is really about a reluctant prophet who disobeyed God. It's about a man who God said, go do this, and he said, no way. That's what this story is about. It's, it's about a man that no matter how hard he tried, he just couldn't ever quite sync up and walk in alignment with God. And there's something in this for us, I promise you. It's also a story, it's also a true story about what happens when people repent. And there is a part of this account of what God is doing and it shouts so loud and clear that God pays attention to every single detail of our lives, that he is involved and he cares deeply. And he, deeps care, he cares deeply about people that we don't care about ourselves. This is an incredible, incredible account. I think you're gonna find, really, this is so much more than a kid's story. This might just be one of the most practical and relevant books of the Bible that you've come across in a long time. And I believe God's gonna show us some things. So you got the verse, first verse of chapter one open on your lap in front of you? Let's read it together. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarsus to flee from the Lord. So let's get a few introductory things out of the way here. First of all, who in the world was Jonah? We gotta start with that question. Well, Jonah was an Israelite, okay? So that means he's part of God's chosen people. He's also a prophet of God. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But he lived during the time of King Jeroboam II. So the life events of Jonah's life happened somewhere around 760 BC. For those of you who are, you know, biblical history buffs, this is not a good time in Israel's history. This is long after King David. This is long after, you know, King Solomon. This is not the glory days. Israel has crested and they are on the downward slope here with God. And, and, and they've got a lot of enemies. You know, if you read through the Old Testament, you know, there was a lot of enemies that came up against God's people. Well, in this time in history, the Assyrians were their big enemy. They had plagued Israel for years. We read about it in Scripture. And so God tells Jonah, I want you to go preach in the city of Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city 
of the Assyrians. So this is like right into the heart of where the bad guys live. They are Israel's foremost enemy at this time in history. The, the people that made up the city of Nineveh, the Ninevites, they hate the Israelites. And the Israelites, they hate the Ninevites. So God says, Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach. And that that the command from God, there's really nothing out of the ordinary about what God is telling Jonah to do. It's what prophets do. They receive a message from God, and then they turn around and they go deliver this message where God tells them to deliver it. This isn't even the first time that Jonah has operated on behalf of God before. 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25 speaks of this very thing. In fact, Jonah, uh, son of Amittai, he is mentioned right there. And it's a good thing that he is because his mention in 2 Kings 14 allows us to understand the time frame of when Jonah lived. If all we had was the book of Jonah, we would just have to give it our best guess. When did this happen? We're not exactly sure because the book of Jonah doesn't really tell us, hey, this is the time frame. But we know that he lived. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 14 was during the reign of King Jeroboam II. So we know where in history this story fits. So Jonah, go and preach. There's nothing unusual about what God told him to do. Jonah, go preach to the Ninevites. Well, that's something completely different. Jonah, go into the center of that hornet's nest and knock it around. That's what he's telling Jonah to do. And there is a detail here that is often missed with a casual reading of the book of Jonah. And that detail is this, that the Lord's compassion extends well beyond his own people, the Israelites. It's a detail that's easily missed this early in the story, but there's a glimpse, there is a picture that God cares about the whole world, that God's got a master plan that includes the saving of all people. And the Israelites had a special role in that plan, but here we see that God is thinking beyond his own people, his own nation. He's thinking about others that his own people hate and let's not miss that detail this early in the story. God loves the whole world, but Jonah's not going there, okay? So God says, go to Nineveh, and he says, no way, Jose, and I am out of here, and he completely disobeys. Now, it's very easy to criticize Jonah. It's very easiest for us to sit here in our comfortable chairs in church in Bella Vista, Arkansas, and say, what a loser. Who disobeys God? A direct order from God. But I would like for you to pump the brakes for just a minute on that thinking. It's easy to do, but pump the brakes. And I wanna help you see the world, see this command of God through Jonah's eyes. Because I think if you'll see it how he see it, I, I think you might just walk away and say, yeah, you know what? There might be a little Jonah in me too. Because here's the reality. There is a little bit of Jonah inside of each and every one of us. So Nineveh is the capital city of Israel's worst enemy. Nineveh was large. Nineveh was protected by an outer wall and an inner wall. Just in Jonah's day, just the sight of this great city, it would have been an intimidating thing if you weren't from Nineveh. And so if you look back at verse two, what does God say to do? He says, so Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Why? Because its wickedness has come up before me. How bad do you have to be for God to say that about you. I mean, just think to the levels that would draw God's attention. Like, you are so wicked, you have caught my attention. 
It's not like God didn't know, but he's stating it so clearly. You go there because they're so bad, I got something for you to do. What is this wickedness that God is talking about? Well, here's just a little bit of of a glimpse. You can read about this in the history books, but whenever the Assyrians, they were so brutal, so evil, that when they were coming through a community, they had a take no prisoners mentality. They would torture. They were brutal in how they executed and tortured people. I mean, it was awful. Like I said, you can read about this in the history books, but but when they would come in to conquer somebody, they would go through and they would kill most of the men. They would take the women and children and they would do exactly what you think they might do to women and children. And then they would kill them as well. And then the remaining survivors, the men, they would take outside the city and they would skin them alive. Think about the brutality here. They would skin them alive. And then they would bury them in the sand outside of the city up to their necks. And then they would take their tongues out and pull it as far as they could go and drive a stake through the middle of their tongue out in the desert. In the middle of the night, they would make them listen to Miley Cyrus songs all night long. No, no. That would be bad. No, that part's not true. But the rest of it is true. The rest of it is true, all right? And there they would die. Now, what an, I mean, just an awful death that would be. And then when they were all dead, they would remove their heads and they would stack their heads in a pyramid monument thing, monument outside the city as a declaration, as a sign. We did this, you're next, don't mess with us. That's the Assyrians. And so when Jonah said, I ain't going there, maybe we can understand just a little bit more about why he wouldn't wanna go. I think deep down, this comes out later in the story, I think Jonah flat out hated these people. Maybe, we don't know for sure, but maybe Jonah had a relative or a friend that suffered the very same fate that I just described to you. And Jonah's like, I'm not gonna go. I'm not doing it. Probably in Jonah's mind, he had legitimate reasons for why he was disobeying God. And maybe you can relate to that too. Because there's this reality for all of us today that we need to acknowledge that there are gonna be some things that the Lord is gonna want you to do and you're not going to want to do it. And you know why you're not gonna wanna do it? Because there's a little bit of Jonah inside of every single one of us. And if you're taking notes today, this would be a great thing to write down. It's this, at times, God will ask you to do things that you don't want to do. Now, it's hard to relate a little bit with what he wanted Jonah to do because for myself and you probably as well, we've never been asked to go into the heart of the enemy and preach against it. I've never been asked by God to go do that. But I can relate to this in different ways and I think there's a lot of ways we can relate to Jonah's disobedience. Maybe um, some of you have been severely wronged in your life and I know that's not a maybe, I know that's a true statement. Some of you probably have a loved one that was severely hurt by somebody else. And boy, that emotion that stirs inside of us when we've been wrong, it's like, I'm gonna get you, I hate you. You know, let's be honest, that's how we feel, right? How did you do this? And then the word of the Lord is gonna come to you. How does the word of the Lord come to you? Perhaps you've got your Bible open and you're reading scripture and the Lord reveals something to you that you didn't see before. Or you're praying to God and he impresses something on your heart. Or you hear a sermon or, or you have a Christian friend, you hear a Christian song. Somehow, some way, the word of the Lord comes to you. And the word of the Lord is this, you need to forgive. You have been forgiven much and I want you to forgive 
much and you have a choice. You're like, no, I, I don't want to do that. They don't deserve my forgiveness. They're not worth forgiving. I don't even want them in heaven with me. I don't want to have a good heart towards them. No, 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 no. And if you've ever had that experience, you've had it because there's a little bit of Jonah in you. I don't want to do what you want me to do. Maybe you can relate to it this way. Maybe, maybe you've got somebody in your life right now and they're like, oh, they're that very special person. You're dating somebody and you're like, oh, you know how it is when you're in that, that phase. Like, oh, everything that they say is just sweetness and oh, you smell so good. And man, the, the way that you move, you're just the center of the world and everything is just fantastic. Maybe you're dating somebody and it's just like that right now. And the next thing you know, you're doing stuff that you shouldn't be doing. And the word of the Lord is gonna come to you. And the word of the Lord is gonna say, hey, that's for married people. That's not what dating people do. No, that's for what married people do. And the word of the Lord came to you and you've got a choice. And you say, oh, well, you know what? I hear that. But you know, that's, I, he makes me feel so good. Or she does something for me no one's ever done for me before. And, 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 and you say, well, everybody does it. This is the way the culture is. And I don't wanna do that. I wanna keep doing what I'm doing. I don't wanna do what God wants me to do. And if you've ever had that experience, let me just tell you, you are because there's a little bit of Jonah inside of you side of all of us, really. Uh, maybe you can relate to it this way. Perhaps you're at work right now and you're so close to closing the big sale or you got this big project you've been working on for a long time. There's a little bit to go, but you found a way to fudge the numbers just a little bit, hide some things over here, and you've justified it because uh, everybody does that. It's not a big deal. I'm the only one that's gonna see it. It's okay. It's gonna work out in the end. And the word of the Lord comes to you. And it sounds like this. Thou shalt not lie. Let your yes be yes and your no no, and you've got this choice. Oh, but you know, everybody does. This is just how business is done these days. This is how things get done. This is, it doesn't have to be this way. It's, it's not a looking like an integrity. It's not a character thing. It's just, this is the way things, this is how business works. And you know why you feel that way? Because there's a little bit of Jonah inside of you and inside of me and inside of all of us. And God said, Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach. And he didn't want to go. And so you know what he did? He's like, I'm out of here. And he travels in the opposite direction. He goes to a city called Joppa. Now, just to kind of give you a, a picture where Joppa is, it's right on the Mediterranean Sea. And if you can imagine where Tel Aviv, Israel is at today, that's basically Joppa. That's where that is. So he goes there. And what I find ironic is the city of Joppa is called beautiful. That's what is known. And if you've ever been there, it is beautiful. It's a very descriptive thing. And so he goes to Joppa. Do you know where Nineveh is? Nineveh, the ruins of Nineveh are in Iraq today. Um, if you're brave enough, you can go visit them. But it's in Iraq today and it's in the east from where Jonah was at. So he goes to the west. And what I find ironic is he goes from mean and scary place in the east to a beautiful place in the west. And he gets on a boat there and he sails for Tarsus. Now, many Bible scholars believe that Tarsus was a place in Spain. So if you know of the known world at that time, he's like saying, I'm not gonna go east to mean and scary. I'm gonna start in beautiful and I'm gonna sail as far away as I can possibly get. And Spain in this day was as far as you could go. He is going as far away as he can. And I, I want you to know something today, something that you probably instinctively know in your heart, that you can, when, when God speaks to you and the word of the Lord comes to you, you can always find a boat sailing in the wrong direction always. 
If I had to guess, just about everybody in this room has a, I found a boat sailing in the wrong direction story in your life. If I had to guess. A season in your life that you can relate so much to what Jonah is doing. And you know, it's like, I don't wanna do what God wants me to do and I'm not gonna do it. I'm gonna do something completely different. I'm gonna go the other way. Here's the thing, Jonah knew exactly what God wanted him to do. There was not a miscommunication between God and Jonah. He just didn't wanna do it. So he decided that he was going to run away. And you know what? Jonah's presented with a choice. It's the exact same choice you and I are presented with. I think maybe God wants me to say this. Some of you right now just might be on the wrong boat, sailing in the wrong direction right now, sitting here in church, worshiping, singing, listening, engaged, and you're in the wrong boat and you're sailing in the wrong direction because somewhere, somehow, deep down in your spirit, you've decided I can hide this from God and I can hide it from everybody who knows me. I take a step back and I go, how foolish was Jonah to think that he could go anywhere on the planet and escape from God? I mean, I mean even he's a prophet of God, he, he, should, he should know better, but how do you run from the creator of the world? You know, my son, Neil, he's 15 years old. He's taller than me now. It's hard to believe. But when he was little, when he was, you know, four, five years of age, three, four, five, somewhere that age, um, he used to play a game with me when I would come home. Um, I would come through uh, the door and I would announce my presence. Dad, I don't know. Dads, I don't know how you do it in your house. I announce my presence when I come home. I open that door. I said, I'm home. I don't know how you do it, but that's how I do it. And my kids have grown up with that. And so when Neil, when he was real little, um, he would run and hide. But it was not because he was scared. It was because it was fun. And he wanted me to come find him. And so I'd walk to the door, like, I'm home. And I knew what the next five minutes were going to be. And I'd walk through the house. I don't know why, but why? oh, where's Neil? Where's Neil? And I'd walk around the house like this. And, and, and Neil... He would be hiding under a bed. He'd be in a closet. He'd be behind the curtains. And he could never hide very good because he's giggling the whole time. So he's, where's Neil? And I hear, you know, and, and I'd find him and I'd grab him. What usually in, in followed was tickling and wrestling. And that's kind of how I came home every day. I kind of miss that a little bit. He's he, not like that now at 15. <laughs> now it's like, I'm home. And he goes, did you bring pizza? That's, anyway, Neil could never successfully hide from me. I found him every time. Why? Because I'm his dad and I found him. It's the same way with God. You can't hide from him. The first to try to do this was Adam and Eve. Do you remember when they sinned? It says in Genesis chapter three, verse eight, it just says this. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Not because he didn't know. But it was more like answer me right now. Where are you? There's no place you can hide from God. There's no place you can run where God can't find you. There's no place you can go where God can't see. And that's the crazy thing about Jonah in my mind. He's just running away. 
I'm reminded what God said in, in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 23. He says, am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, declares the Lord. Do not I fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. That pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? Hebrews 4.13 says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. It's pretty clear. But people have been trying to hide their stuff from God ever since the garden. And we do it to this day. We think that God doesn't see this, that we're the only ones in the room, that God will never know, nobody else will ever see it. And we think, well, God can't find me here. And that's Jonah. So I feel compelled to ask this question. Are you on the run today, right now, you? Are you trying to pull a Jonah? And if you are, you need to understand something. You can run for a little while. God will let you run away. But you can't run forever. You cannot run forever. But somehow Jonah believed that if I just ran fast enough and far enough away, God can't find me. He'll just let me go and I will get away. But here's what happened, and this is how God works sometimes. God may send a storm into your life just to get your attention. If you're writing notes, why don't you write that down? God may send a storm to grab your attention. Look at verse four, because this is exactly what he did to Jonah. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. So they're on their way to Spain. We don't know exactly where they are in this journey, but God sends this incredible wind and this incredible storm. And, and, and the sailors, we get the impression, they thought all hope was lost. They did everything they knew how to do. Throw the ship, throw the cargo over the ship, overboard, lighten the load, do everything we can. And they, they have just... There's nothing left to do. And so while they're feverishly trying to save the ship, where is Jonah? Jonah is below deck and what is he doing? He is in a deep sleep. Somebody explain to me how that is even possible to be in the sleep when there's a storm outside. Everybody thinks they're gonna die. Only thing I can think of is running from God must be exhausting. But that's, another sermon. The captain of the ship, he wakes Jonah up and he's not to bail water or throw cargo. No, you need to get up, Jonah, and you need to pray to whoever God you pray to. That's what we're doing. We've got our idols out. We're praying to all these gods and that's what you need to do as well. And so this is the, this is the frantic point they are in this journey. We're down to prayer. That's all we have left. So Jonah, whoever you pray to, they didn't know. They really didn't know anything about Jonah. But whoever it is you pray to, let's do it. And they learned pretty quickly that praying to a lot of stone carvings and wood carvings and false gods, it doesn't do any good. And so there's something. Now, I'm reading between the lines just a little bit, but these are experienced sailors, and there had to have been something about this storm that was unnatural. We've seen storms out here. This isn't one of those. Somebody on this ship 
is to blame. Somebody has angered a God and we better get to the bottom of it right now. So that's what they do. Look at verse seven. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. So that's it. Let's find out who's to blame. And they cast these lots and what's it say? The lot fell to Jonah. Casting lots is something you come across in the Bible from time to time. It's a way people would, would, would use to figure out direction from God, guilt, innocence, whose turn it was, some of those things. And there was a number of ways that people would cast lots. For us to understand this, just think of it like this. They drew straws and Jonah got the short one. That's what happened. And Jonah's holding the short straw and, and they look at him and they're like, what did you do? Look at verse eight. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? They don't have a clue who he is. They don't know anything about him. In verse nine, he says, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry ground. Verse nine is the first time Jonah speaks in this story. All this has happened, these are the first words out of his mouth, and he has an interesting response. I am a Hebrew. That would have been understood, I'm one of God's chosen people. A very distinct group of people, and, and, and that's who I am. And he says, I worship the Lord. I worship the God of the Hebrew people. And I, I, don't, wanna, like, I don't wanna read more into this and what's there. But I find it sad that it's only in the storm only when all hope is lost, only when called upon to give an account does he bring up God. He's on the run, he's not obeying God, he's caught in a storm, fear sets in, and then he identifies himself, I'm a Hebrew, I serve the Lord, that's who I am. Only when he needed to did he mention God. And I think personally, and I've been pretty open with you guys about this, I think probably one of the most troubling realities facing the church today is people who call themselves Christians, but they don't live like it at all. They pull their faith out when it's convenient or when they are in trouble. And I, I see Jonah doing this. We, we don't know how long Jonah was on the run. We really don't. Uh, there, there's some details here, obviously long enough to run away to Joppa, get on a boat. We don't know how far he was out at sea. Like I said, Bible scholars believe that to go from Joppa to Spain in this day and age, that is a trip that could have taken up to a year to make. We don't know where he is in the water where this storm happens, but he has been with these guys for a while. He has been on this ship for a number of days, maybe a few weeks. They've been together and they don't have a clue who he is. They don't know what he's about. They don't know who he prays to. They don't know anything about his faith. And I think about it and I go, how tragic would that be if our friends, if our coworkers are with us day after day and they have no idea that we're believers? What a tragedy that, that would be. Or if any of your coworkers or your neighbors or your friends, they ever were talking to you and they said, huh, never had you pegged for a church guy. That's not a compliment. Because what they're saying is, I never saw anything that was any different than anybody else. 
who doesn't go to church. Huh. Never had you down as somebody that talked to God and prayed. That's not a compliment. So Jonah, he discloses this information and it had to have been an eye opener for the sailors because what did he say about God? He says, yes, it's that God, the God of heaven who made the what? The sea and the dry ground. And somebody on that boat said, ha ha, I knew it was you. It's your God that's doing this. It's your fault. And Jonah's like, you're right. You are suffering because of me. This is a huge moment for Jonah in the story. In fact, a lot of people who read the story of Jonah, they'll say, this is the moment that Jonah fully came to his senses. I'm not so sure about that, but it is a moment that Jonah has and God revealed some things and he saw some things and he does come to some senses. And he says, you're right, this is my fault. You know what? When you're in the middle of the storm, I can tell it's exactly what God wants you to do too. Come to your senses. It's a huge moment. Sometimes, like I said, God will send a storm in your life so that you will come to your senses and, he, and you'll listen. So Jonah came to some level of recognition that God was, this had something to do with God and it had everything to do with him. And so his solution is this. He says, throw me overboard. Okay, this is not during a day where the Coast Guard had anything to do with anything. The, the water represented death, to be quite honest with you. So he says, throw me overboard. Look at verse 12. He says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Throw me away, throw me to my death. There's no coming out of the water, is basically what he's saying. He replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. And I really like the sailors in this story because they don't wanna do it. I think they're halfway decent guys. I think they, they've tried everything though. They're throwing cargo. I think someone's like, we're not doing that, that's crazy. But do they do, they do get to a point where they do it. How dire was it on that ship? How bad was this storm that they were basically like, we're all gonna die anyway. What's it matter if you die first? And it doesn't say that Jonah said, I've got this and jumps in. No, I don't think Jonah could do it. He said, you're gonna have to pick me up and throw me in and that's exactly what they do. And if you know the next part of the story, Jonah is swallowed by a giant fish, all right? It, the Bible doesn't say whale. Sometimes we refer to this story as Jonah in the whale. It's not Jonah in the whale. It's just kind of the technical geek in me. It's a big fish. There's no indication it's a whale of any kind. But a giant fish swallowed Jonah and for three days and three nights, he stayed in the belly of that fish. And I'm going, yuck. I know how bad fish smell on the outside. Can you imagine what they smell like on the inside? For three days, what a nightmare. I think Jonah would probably say it was the worst nightmare of my life, worst scenario you can create. And you know what? If that was the end of the story right there, if all we had was Jonah chapter one, that Jonah ran from God, God sent a storm, the sailors throw Jonah into the water and he was eaten by a fish, then that's the end. What a tragedy. Would that not just be a tragic story? Can you imagine how we, taught our, how we would teach our kids that? If you disobey God and run from him, you are gonna get eaten by a monster. Mom, no kid would ever wanna go to junior church ever again 
Mom, Dad, I'm staying up here with you. I don't care if it's boring, I'm staying with you. But that's not the end of the story. We're gonna get into that part next week, but I wanna give you one final thought. Jonah's worst nightmare, you know, getting thrown overboard in the storm and eaten by a fish, Jonah's worst nightmare was exactly what he needed. Jonah's worst nightmare, exactly what he needed. Some of you right now, you might be facing what you would consider is your worst nightmare. Maybe this is your story. Man, financially, it's like it's over. We're done. Nope, there's not another day. It's over. It's that. It's it. Nightmare. And God may just be saying, well, do I have your attention now? Some of you, your relationship might, you might say, man, worst scenario you can imagine. I don't know if it's gonna make it. It's, it's, we're at the end of our rope. And maybe, maybe God's saying, can you hear me now? Do I have your attention finally? Please don't misunderstand me. I am not in any way, shape, or form saying that God causes calamity in your life or that all calamities are from God and all bad things that happen are because are God's doing it. I'm not saying that at all. But what I do believe with everything in me and what I learned from Scripture is that there are times where God may allow what we would consider the worst thing we've ever experienced so that he can have our attention because you're not listening. God's trying to show you some things and you're not paying attention. And we've thumbed our nose at God, we've gotten on the wrong ship, and we're not doing what God wants us to do. I can tell you personally, I'd prefer just to obey instead of getting eaten by a big fish and having a big storm come into my life figuratively. Sometimes God will use a storm and he'll use our worst nightmares so that we can hear him. You know, I mentioned at the beginning of this sermon that when I heard Pastor Craig preach through the book of Jonah and how it so inspired me and I was just like, oh my, I never knew, oh my goodness. In, that, in one of those sermons that he was preaching through, he, he talks about how God uses hard things to get our attention sometimes. And he tells a story, and I'm gonna end with this story. Um, it's his story, it's not my story, this is his story. And it's a story about his wife's brother. It's his brother-in-law. And he says that my wife had a brother um, named David who died at the age of 35. It's really young, really young. And he says, you know, David grew up like a lot of kids. They grew up in church, um, went to church camp, did the whole church thing. But when he got out of high school, he just decided, now nah, I'm gonna do my own thing now. I don't think I believe that anymore. Got my own choices to make in life. And, and Pastor Craig talks about that that he ran away from God completely, engaged in a lifestyle that was so unholy. And I know some of you right now, that's, that's where you're at with your own kids. You know, it's, it's where like, man, I thought we raised them this way and now they're doing their own thing. I don't know what happened. And I wanna encourage you something here. Don't ever give up on your kids. They may not be listening to you, but they can't stop you praying for them. And you pray for them every single day and you just believe in your heart that what they got in them is called the good stuff, and you put it there. And I've seen it as a pastor more times than I can count how that good stuff eventually comes out. And sometimes with our kids, God sends them to Nineveh and captures them with a storm and lets them get eaten by a big fish. 
And sometimes our children have to experience the worst nightmares of their life. But they come back to God, a lot of them. This is the story that I'm gonna tell you. So David ran away from God, completely did his own thing, actually wound up in a homosexual lifestyle. And when he was 23 years old, he came home one day and had to tell the whole family, I am HIV positive. And Craig says, welcome to our worst nightmare. That's what it was. And he said, that was like a death sentence. He said, David told us before he died, that was at age 23, he died at 35 from this awful disease. But David told us before he died that that whole experience, what was so bad, coming, running from God, becoming HIV positive, he said, that actually was the best thing that ever happened to me in my life. Craig goes on to talk about how at the age of 23, God had David's attention and David repented of his sins, came back to the Lord. Um, and from age 23 to 35, Craig says he lived an incredible Christian life. He ended up marrying a wonderful girl and, uh, and, and she was his wife for most of that. She, you know, he, you know, he adopted her son and they had a family. And, and Craig talks about how this adopted kid's the coolest kid in the world and he gets to speak truth in this kid's life and is a part of his life and how wonderful that is. But when David did succumb to his disease at age 35, he said it was probably one of the most spiritual funerals that he had ever been a part of. And God did amazing things that day, he said. And he said, at the funeral, I asked David's mom, he goes, which is my mother-in-law. And I said, would you change any of that, what has happened, to have your son back? And she said, no, I wouldn't. There's no way I'd trade what God has done in my son's life these last few years just so I could have him again. And that's a really intense thing to say for the mother of a child that you're burying. And you know, only people who follow Christ with all of their heart could ever say such a thing. And to ever acknowledge that this terrible thing that came to our family was the vehicle God used to get a hold of my son's heart. And it's because of that that now he is following Christ. And it's because of his return to Christ that now I will be in heaven with him forever. So no, I wouldn't trade what God is doing in my son's life so I could have him for even another day. So what was their worst nightmare became the greatest thing that they needed for David. Friends, the word of the Lord's gonna come to you and you have a choice to make. I'm gonna obey or I'm gonna disobey. You can always find a ship sailing in the wrong direction. And if you do that, God may just send a storm in your life to get your attention. And if that doesn't get it, he may allow you to face your worst nightmare so that you will listen. And I hope you'll understand something, that if God ever does that in your life, please know it's only because he loves you. And it's only because he's never given up on you. And for the day, every day of your life, every second you're on this earth with breath in your lungs, he will never give up on you because everything in God's word teaches me that God loves us unconditionally. But if God sends a storm in your life to get your attention, it's because he desperately wants your attention. It's because he's got something great for you to do. 
He's got something he needs you to see, somewhere he needs you to go, somebody he needs you to talk to. He wants a life that's aligned with his will and his purposes. And you can keep running or you can come back to him. And I pray that you will come back to him. I am so looking forward to unpacking over the next few weeks this not-so-kids story with you.